0: Welcome uh, to this Battlegrounds Wisconsin special podcast. We're having a standalone interview with the president of a rising union in the Milwaukee area, and it really does have national implications. It's Peter Rickman, the president of MASH, and MASH stands for the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers. And if you've heard of them, because there's been media, You've probably heard them around their historic effort to organize the Fiserv workers at the Bucks, the new Bucks Arena, and the whole strategy that led to that. But they're also brought, they're more than that. And so what caught our attention is uh, a new effort around COVID-19 and safe workplaces and the city uh, that they launched this week uh, as we're recording. And so we thought we'd have uh, Peter on to discuss it. So, Peter, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on, Robert. I like to think that most people have heard of MASH because of my previous appearance on this podcast. (laughs) I get that a lot on the street.
0: I'm sure. uh, There's also the more famous MASH from Hollywood. And I did, uh, you know, actually get to meet Loretta Swit, remember? Uh, Houlihan. And uh, and be in her dressing room for a half hour once because of my stepmom who turned, became friends with her. But that's a, that's a very different Mash.
1: We like to think uh, of ourselves <laughs> also as local 4077 for the 40 plus crowd here that's going to get the reference. Uh, as an under 40, though, I, I just I I grew up watching Mash, uh, the show.
0: Perfect. Well, great show, but not the topic. We'll have to do another podcast on on the show. But anyway. As as, this is something Peter and I have talked about for years and uh, obviously read about a lot, one of the challenges that organized labor has is is that labor law is stacked against workers, and they don't really have a right to organize. And, you know, uh, various international human rights watchdogs don't think we have a right to organize a union in the United States because it's made so hard, and and people are, frankly, frankly, oppressed. By the employer in that, and you have to win a majority of a bargaining unit defined by the federal government. And if you don't get a majority of that, then you can't have a union, even if the workers in a worksite all want a union. It's it's a it's a very difficult setup, and so Peter has been an innovator in Mash in what's called sectoral bargaining, and that is using the organizing power we have to get worker power without having to go through this national rela- uh, labor relations administration process, which is stacked against uh, workers, and even more so in the Trump administration. So, Peter, could you briefly, I know these are not labor law experts, all of them, though some of them are, talk about what sectoral bargaining is and that where it fits into this new campaign.
1: Yeah, I, and, and I appreciate the, the focus on it because I think we're seeing, you know, Democratic presidential candidates in this, in this primary that has just passed talk about it more. We're seeing intellectuals, Um, and and legal experts talking about this. And I think the reality is for most working people, it just makes sense. You know, labor law right now is based upon a given worksite, one group of people, whatever it happens to be. But even if they're able to get through this Byzantine process and win union recognition through all this bureaucracy and take all this time and
0: negotiate one
1: contract with that one employer for that one worksite, the likelihood that it's going to dramatically improve economics for them Much less the rest of the working class is actually not all that great. Don't get me wrong, any given work site having a union contract can make a big difference, people's rights and dignity. But what sectoral bargaining is all about, Robert, is putting everyone in an industry at the table, all the employers and all the workers to say, what are the common standards that everyone ought to have, whether it's economic, like wages and benefits, or basic operating practices that impact workers and their their day-to-day lives when they punch in it's just a common sense kind of solution i hate to use that term but the truth is every time i talk about it with workers they say why isn't our law set up like that already i go from one job to the next to the next in the service industry i don't really get tied down to one here why don't i have the same standard everywhere i work so it's something that other countries have had and we here in the us are a little bit behind but we can be the ones that leap forward and this CoVID-19 crisis has really demonstrated why we need it now.
0: So Peter, that's really helpful there there's more complexity, but that's the broad overview, which is what I what I was hoping for. Uh, now, you've already used this successfully with the Serve workers uh, at the, the box arena uh, for those of you in the state who forget about which corporate o- naming uh, right <laughs> there is and which will probably change. It's like Miller Park is going to change. Uh, uh, Corporate naming, right? And so, in the COVID-19 situation, all of us have struggled, and we've, it's this action worked out a lot of ways to make what we're doing relevant to containing the pandemic, or uh, dealing with the economic fallout of the pandemic. Seems like to me you found a way to approach both in a way that builds worker power, and that is, we're opening with no guidelines. Donald Trump does no cdc guidelines destroyed the cdc state supreme court and the legislature destroyed uh, state authority plus there really aren't even clear guidelines from the department of health services that i know of unless you know of some and so it comes to localities milwaukee which still has a strong stay at home order for now but won't forever uh to actually think about what would be required and one of them obviously is is that we need standards for workplaces, for what makes them safe. And one of the things that makes them safe is cleanliness, for example. And so this is a way to put people back to work in a safe way that actually makes everyone else safer as they go back to their livings, to their source of employment. Since it's clear that uh, that Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are not going to continue uh, to subsidize. Uh, uh, people who are not working, and in fact, uh, that subsidy was uh, completely inadequate to begin with, and now it's running out, and now we have problems like the unemployment system in Wisconsin being backloaded to October, for example. So that doesn't work, so people need to work to make a living, but they need to be safe. So you talk about where this fits in and where this fits in with city authority. We'd also go to yeah. Robin Voss for this, right, Peter? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't think Robin Voss will necessarily share our objectives here based upon his behavior thus far in this crisis. But, you know, we, we've had, I think, a, a discussion thus far, you know, in Wisconsin and, and elsewhere, but certainly here in Wisconsin and definitely in Milwaukee about well, maintaining uh, a, a total shutdown, stay at home dynamic and everything reopening. And, and I think the practical reality is things are moving from the shutdown to reopen, and I hate those terms, but they're the ones we're stuck with right now. You're the you're the uh, you're the rhetoric man. I'll leave that to you. Um, but but I think we need to build in some resiliency and address the societal needs. The societal need right now is to have clean and safe buildings as things reopen. You know, we can protect public health and safety, and that's both the health and safety of workers in these buildings as well as customers. <clears throat> We can do that by ensuring every square foot of every building that is reopened is cleaned daily deep cleaned by a cleaner a janitor with proper equipment and materials with the right kind of training but with also a voice on the job to speak up about health and safety concerns now we're going to put people to work i think if we can adopt what we're calling this clean and safe buildings program on the order of thousands you know half of the jobs that have been lost with 15% plus unemployment, half of those jobs that have been lost are destroyed. They're not coming back. We need to put people to work. This is a Great Depression, Great Recession type of thing. And we can meet the public health need by cleaning every building. And we need to ensure that people are paid living wages. That's always a baseline for anything we're talking about here. But we can put thousands of people to work, meeting a societal need. And here's another aspect of what we're talking about, Robert. You know, social distancing and mask wearing are critical in this time. But we can't leave that on everyday retail workers, for example, to enforce. We've heard too many stories about retail workers getting beaten up or, or threatened. And actually in some cases, people have been killed. That shouldn't be on retail workers to enforce mask wearing and social distancing. We should have trained and qualified security guards prepared to handle those situations and enforce those requirements. So by putting people to work in cleaning and in security, we can have safe, clean, healthy buildings, sanitary conditions, So as we open, we minimize the chance of the continued spread of the virus. And in so doing, put thousands of people to work in living wage union jobs in our city. We think about it as a Green New Deal for public health. We can meet societal needs by putting people to work in living wage union jobs, doing the work that's gotta be done to have a functional society. And this is something that the city of Milwaukee can use its inherent governing authority to do right now. We don't need Robin Voss. We don't need Tony Evers. We need Tom Barrett and the members of our common council to take action on this.
0: And if you think about it, uh, this, uh, this reminds me a little bit of home care, which I used to work on when, in my past life with SEIU, and we still work on it in a different way. It's citizen action in our, in our caregiving agenda, uh, caregiver's agenda. But you have a whole group of workers that are dissed by our current neoliberal, as it's currently called. I know it's kind of a fancy word, uh, more fancy that needs to be, economy where we decided that stockbrokers and insurance salesmen and corporate executives and people who have the privilege of working remotely are what matters and we'll pay them handsomely way beyond what they're worth, and we'd have to pay uh, service workers, right? So we went to a service economy. It's a low-wage economy, and globalization was was literally a scheme to rig the economy to allow corporations to do that and extract more wealth from people, and that has repercussions. Now we have a situation where it's thought to be only safe if you can work remotely, but these are folks where there's no remote job for them to do, and services you're talking about are vital, just like home care. We need clean buildings, and we know this is how I got. once got a very old-line Democrat at a bar, t- a major leader, totally converted on home care. I go, you know, the, the industrial jobs used to be terrible jobs. They're not natural. Manufacturing jobs aren't naturally good jobs. We had a union movement that made them good jobs. Why can't we make these jobs <clears throat> good jobs? And so if you want a high-wage economy that is equitable, there's the kind of thing you can do. I mean, Raphael Smith, our, our current climate and equity director at in Action, a great organizer, was a security guard who crossed the line during the Palermo strike. So you have folks from working-class African-American backgrounds, a lot of Latino as well in the city of Milwaukee, these are the jobs they do. If you could have high-paid security guards to do the security we need to have safe retail spaces, for example, and not put it on the retail worker, all the better. And if you've seen Rafi, Rafi is a, a, a you know a, a, a guy who you would not mess with as a security guard. Let me put it that way. He's a formidable, formidable human being in terms, physically. And so there's a lot of folks like that. And their families need a living wage, and they need a living wage and a career. And we need them more than ever to have safe spaces during a pandemic.
1: You know, this pandemic, this COVID-19 crisis, Robert, I think has really underscored for a lot of people just the necessity of the work that the contemporary working class does. You know, the world works because we do. It doesn't work because those stockbrokers are clicking buttons Uh, on computers making trades. By the way, this this moment has also demonstrated just how rigged a system this economy is. Billionaires have accrued over $400 billion more wealth during this. The stock market has continued to rise as people's misery has gone up. You know, those measures of the economy are totally divorced from people's day-to-day lives. Uh, And and so I, I need to say that. But, you know, we've seen how we now have a group of workers considered essential services. Well, they're, they're they're a pretty broad group here, and it just demonstrates how essential the working class is. And you know, whether it's frontline caregivers uh, in in hospitals and nursing homes, and, and I don't just mean nurses; I also mean CNAs and dietary workers and housekeeping workers. We've got essential services workers like you know the the distributive services, warehouse workers, and delivery drivers. Without which, those of us who are you know basically confined to our homes couldn't exist. We literally couldn't exist without them. Uh, and, and you know that that broad array has just demonstrated that this world works because we do. But the only voices being heard in this moment, Robert, about reopening or about what's good for the economy, what's good for public health, are the voices of bosses and billionaires. And we're saying here in Milwaukee, let's put essential services workers, frontline healthcare workers, and, and the, the, the displaced, the unemployed service sector working class, at the table when decisions are being made about reopening and about what their work looks like in the future. <clears throat> You know, we've got a pandemic moment here. Workers need a voice in what's going on in the pandemic. We've got reopening reimagination that workers should have a voice in too, because this is our world. We make it. And then there's a potential resurgence of the COVID-19 crisis coming in the fall. How are we preparing for it? Workers need a voice in that as well. So this moment has really clarified just how vital working class people are. We're not just secondary throwaway people. It's sort of ancillary to what's going on. We are the heart of this world. It spins because we make it. And so now it's time to put our voices in the decision-making bodies, and that's something the city of Milwaukee can make happen right here, right now, for the working class in our city.
0: So there's, I, I couldn't agree more with your analysis. There's another part of the strategy here, and that is we need to keep holding Trump accountable, McConnell accountable, Voss and Fitzgerald and the state accountable, but progressives get tired if we just keep trying to do things. That's all we do, that they shoot down, right, and they go home for the summer and the fall during a pandemic, which is what they're doing. Uh, so we need to think about where we have powers. You know, citizen action is pursuing a climate and uh, change and equity strategy, which is based on city power, which we eventually need state and federal power, but go where there's traction. We have these blue cities and counties around the state. That's where the action can be. And so what is the reception here you've gotten so far? You're doing something similar, and you and I have talked about this kind of thing for years. But- Uh, What kind of reception are you getting in the city of Milwaukee so far? this is obviously something other cities around the state could do as well, but it'd be very interesting to see, given the city of Milwaukee has the worst pandemic outbreak and the worst structural economic inequality and racial economic inequality, uh, what the reception has been so far.
1: And I I just want to emphasize here for a moment, Robert, before I answer your, your question, that addressing the needs of the working class and fighting climate change, addressing the needs of the working class and dealing with this public health crisis are not just different things. They're actually, they're, they're, they're smushed together. <clears throat> and you know, whether it's a Green New Deal, putting people to work transitioning this world to a clean energy economy, putting people to work in living wage union jobs to meet the climate crisis, putting people to work in living wage union jobs to address the public health crisis of COVID-19. It's the same sort of thing. And cities are, are big enough to matter but small enough that organizers and activists and everyday working class people can wrap our arms around them. And I think if we're gonna take on these big societal challenges, we need to have the working class, the real agents of change, be able to see that there's a plan to win, that it's working and that they have a place in it. And so doing this work on the city level is so crucial. Um, And and my answer to your question, Robert, is not about the elite policy actors. It's not about the city council and the mayor. Although we've had some very interesting early discussions with the office of the mayor. There's members of the common council who have been very receptive to hearing this. And have said, I want to work on this with you. And we've got meetings teed up along that line. The real answer to the question in in saying what's been the response so far is that in talking to the working class people of Milwaukee, who we've drawn into the various work of of MASH and SEIU over the last couple of years, their response is, all right, this sounds like something that we can fight for and we can win. What do we need to do? That's really what I care about as an organizer, because I think the policy level work, the, the elite actor level, the political work will follow when the working class is organized and mobilized. But if folks don't believe something is worth fighting for and they don't believe that they can win, they're going to do a damn thing about it. And so right now, the response in just the first couple of days of our launch has been good. We've got people jumping into this fight saying, we want to fight to have a working people-centered solution. We need our voices heard and at the table in the decisions about our our jobs, our lives, our health. And we need to take every step possible uh, to ensure public health safety and security in reopening this economy. So I'd say the response has been good, but we need to make this a demand that can't be ignored and can't be denied by those elite level policymakers. Um, And if we can mobilize the working class to demand these solutions, I think those policymakers can come to the table saying, all right, let's figure this out. We may have to take on the bosses and the billionaires, but we can do this and it's for the good of everyone.
0: So I I agree again with all of this and this analysis, and I'm really glad that we are working side by side on an aligned strategy here. So this uh, podcast segment uh, our listeners will will be uh, some working class some middle class uh, what millennial or whatever you call the next generation generation next or generation Z term would be the more woke how can the more woke help and there's more woke in the Milwaukee area but also around the state how can they help support these workers who are leading uh, uh, this fight to actually start to make progress here and to make this country, and the city of Milwaukee safer. At the same time, we also give people the jobs that they desperately need, and that we need that we need to have in order to in order to have a functioning economy and a just economy. So, what can you? What do you want to ask of our audience?
1: Well, I don't want to sound like the uh, you know hackneyed cliche here, but from you know boomers to zoomers, white, black, brown, the fight of the working class majority here for. Real policy solutions to the challenges that we face here as a society are are not exclusive of any category taking action. In fact, it's going to take all of us to fight for and win for all of us. Um, what what folks should do is join our campaign. That's what any organizer is going to ask for, right, Robert? So um, the, the we have a we built an electronic hub for this. Uh, we're starting to to expand it out. And the truth is, Robert, you were on this faster than we could get all of our infrastructure together. So while I'd normally want to direct people to mashworkers.org slash uh, people's pandemic response, that's not quite up yet. So you should head on over to the MASH Facebook page, which you'll find right at the top is uh, a link you can click to uh, that will take you through the process of sending uh, an email to your member of the Common Council if you live in Milwaukee and to the mayor outlining our case for a clean and safe buildings, healthy economy program and our program to put workers at the table so their voices are heard around essential workers and frontline healthcare workers and displaced service sector workers. That's the first step. Um, We wanna generate a flood tide of uh, communication of constituents with policymakers to demonstrate there's a real demand for this. But beyond that, we wanna reach out and work with every person who opts themselves into this fight to build this in their workplace and in their neighborhood, this campaign for it. Because the only way we make this work is not by passing the policy, Robert, that's step one. It's by making it effective by putting an activated, mobilized, and organized self-conscious working class into deepening the struggle and making these structures work for the democracy, the justice and the equity that every working class person deserves, but only will win when we fight for it together. So take action by joining us on the MASH Facebook page. Just go search for Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers on Facebook and click that link. That's right at the top of our page to take action on this campaign for a people's pandemic response.
0: So thank you for all of this. I, and I would just close, we're going to close this uh, segment by saying that what you said about power is critical for all progressives in this, within the sound of our voices to understand You need to change the relations of power, the balance of power, to get policy change. But you also need to do it and keep doing it and keep building power to keep policy change. So the idea that you can just get a policy with some allied legislators, common council members, a mayor, and that's all you do, which is a default tendency among a lot of activists because this is why we're here to – to talk about this, uh, that's why you, the policy goes away, right? And so you, you're going to, the other side is going to remove the policy as soon as it can if it's allowed to do that. Why is the uh, labor law stacked against average people? Because corporations built the power to take it away and to rig the system. It's that simple. And so, in order, the same thing you need to win here is the thing you need to hold the win and to build on the win. And so, please join MASH, but you give one more thought, Peter, then we'll close off.
1: No, I, no, no other thoughts. I think you nailed it here. You know, we've got to fight to win these changes. We've got to fight to hold on to them. And we've got to fight to take, make the most out of them. You know, winning labor law reform was what built the world's first middle class right here. We lost it because that, that labor law was eviscerated in a strategic campaign executed by the right over the longest period of time. But the reality is, you know, our labor organizations and the working class didn't build the structures to protect that labor law, but also make the most of it. And and I think that's one of the lessons that we can benefit from here and now. Um, you know, we're I, Robert, you and I are students of history. I'm sitting in my home office. You can see one of my walls is, is a bunch of labor history books here. Uh, but I, I you know we've got to draw on that and draw on those fights and build for the future and then leave behind those lessons for the next generation. Uh, of organizers and activists and movement leaders. So uh, come on and, and get involved in this fight, everybody, so we can we can win and make some history ourselves right here in Milwaukee and history that can be built all across the country with our example. Wisconsin's the center of the world, Robert. You and I both know it. Yes, yes. The it. <laughs> well,
0: the political folks all think it is too, so there you go. Uh, so, and uh, listeners won't see the Zoom feed, but yeah, you can get a little uh, glimpse into Peter's home life. You got one wall of books, you got some weights, and then you got a cat running around behind him. And uh, so, so I, that,
1: you know, two of my three cats have been in here during during during.
0: <laughs> so that is, that's the edge for this segment. We will give you updates in the future, but we thought this was important enough to have its own segment because this is about doing what we all need to be do building power in order to change our society and build the power we need to actually create a just america the what you know the what we believe in but what is we're so far from realizing at this moment and the pandemic is a huge opportunity to do that we have to first be focused on relief and safety in the pandemic which peter and mash are doing but then build something out of that that leads to structural reform because believe you me the other side is trying to rig the economy even worse, as, as Peter mentioned during the interview. So that's all for this segment. Thank you for joining us, and we will keep you up to date.